Hey, let me ask you to uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. As we consider a story that uh, probably is fairly well known, but is kind of one of those unusual types of stories in the Old Testament uh, that sometimes leaves your head, leaves you scratching your head a little bit at the end of it. And First um, Chronicles thirteen, as we talk about a individual named Uzzah, though he's not really the, the focus of our study tonight, but he's the one of the surprising characters. And so, First um, Chronicles 13, I'm going to begin reading. Well, I'm just going to read the whole chapter, okay? And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregations said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up, and all Israel to Baalah, that is, to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps, with psalteries and with timbrels, and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing, threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. To appreciate the background of the story, uh, there is a parallel text found in 1 Samuel that provides some helpful background, but this was during the time of Eli the priest, or rather during the time of Eli the priest, the Philistines had attacked Israel as they had done on numerous occasions. And so after an initial defeat on the battlefield, the Jews decided to bring, to transport the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield as a sort of good luck charm against their enemies. However, God removed his hand of protection from Israel, and the Philistines not only won the battle, they also captured the Ark of the Covenant at the same time. The Ark remained among the Philistines for seven months, 
And during all that time, God brought various plagues upon them. And so finally, the Philistines decided to send the ark back to Israel. But to do so, they devised their own method of transporting the ark. They set it upon a new cart drawn by two cows along with some offerings, and then they let it go. And it was just the cows that were pulling the cart. There was no person with it. And the cows went directly toward Israel without hesitation. And eventually the ark ended up in the town of kiriath Yerim, where it stayed for well over 60 years. And on your notes, I think I'd written the number 100. Um, I don't think it was quite that much, but it was well over 60 years anyway, until David decided to bring it to Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately, although David's intentions were good, he did not act according to the clear directions given by God concerning the ark. And so this story becomes um, an anecdote about this untimely death of a faithful Jewish man named Uzzah that reminds us that God puts a high priority on obedience. And that disobedience to God's word, even when it's well-intentioned disobedience, it always brings disastrous consequences. And so the, the, the clear thought, I believe, from this text, from this story, and surely the thought I want to leave with you tonight is that nothing can replace complete obedience to God's Word. Now, this is not just an Old Testament concept. Uh, you find the same priority upon obedience throughout the New Testament. Our Lord Himself said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Or, for example, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And so God repeatedly throughout the Bible insists on the importance of our complete obedience to God's will, our complete obedience to the Word of God. And so let's consider tonight just how important this question of obedience is in God's eyes. First of all, obedience is more important than a just cause. As we look at verses 2 and 3 in the text that we just read, David resolves once he has the kingship uh, pretty much in hand. Uh, one of his first acts is to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which had been neglected all during the days of Saul. That was over 40 years and plus 20 years before that. He decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And this was clearly a just cause. Uh, the ark of God uh, needed to be brought to a suitable place, a place where it would be incorporated in the worship of Israel and be honored. However, the problem was not in what they were trying to do, but in how they went about it. Because God had given very clear instructions about how to move the ark. And so just so it's clear for anybody maybe is not familiar with these details, look in Numbers Chapter 4, please. Turn back to Numbers chapter 4, and you'll see that uh, when God gave instructions to Moses concerning uh, the tabernacle and all the different parts of the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant, he gave some very specific directions. Notice what it says in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. Whenever they were to uh, 
take down the tabernacle to move uh, as a people, uh, they were instructed how to transport all the parts of the tabernacle, including the ark. And Numbers 4.15 says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, okay, to carry it. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. So it's interesting that already here God warns them not to touch any of the holy items from the tabernacle uh, under the penalty of death. Something that Uzzah and the others would have been remember, well to remember when they were transporting the ark. Notice also in, uh, in Numbers chapter 7, Numbers chapter 7 and verses 8 and 9. And this is an interesting distinction that's made. Numbers chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari, according unto their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. That is, he gave no wagons, no carts. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging to them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. So the distinction's even made. The question even comes up, well, you're giving carts and wagons to the, this other group to transport things. Why can't Kohath, the sons of Kohath uh, have carts available to them to transport the holy things from the tabernacle? And the statements may know they're to carry them on their shoulders. Now, one other text, going back to 1 Chronicles. Notice what we see, what we read in chapter 15. 1 Chronicles 15. So not only were these directions clearly given to Moses, apart of the law that every king was required to know. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, first of all in verse 2. Verse 2 it says, Then David said, now this is after the story we read, right? This is after the incident with Uzzah. Chapter 15, verse 2. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Skip down to verses 11 and following. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, and he gives a list of the names of the Levites, verse 12, and said unto them, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So David was very conscious, very aware of the directions that God had given to Moses back in Numbers. He knew exactly what should have been done. But he and Israel chose to accomplish this holy purpose, this, this just cause, in the wrong way. And so what they did... When they decided to move the ark, for whatever reason, they chose to adopt the method that the Philippines, God's enemies, had used, this pagan group. They had chosen to take a new cart. They didn't know the law and numbers, so when they were going to send the ark of the covenant back, they just you know, did the best they could. They took a new cart, put the ark on there, and hooked it up to some cows and let her go. Well, David and Israel chose to emulate the pattern set by the pagans rather than go back and follow the clear directives given by God in his word. 
And so as we consider that phenomenon, um, it behooves us to uh, take to heart the fact that it's not because the world does something and even, in a sense, looks like it works. You know, sometimes, you know, unsaved people can do things, they can cheat on their taxes or do other things, and, and they seem to get away with it. And it could be tempting at points to say, well, you know, look, they're getting away with it. God doesn't seem to be, you know, punishing them, so why can't we perhaps, you know, uh, cheat a little bit? And so believers need to be very careful not to follow the example of the world, but to follow the clear instructions given by the Lord in his word to accomplish his will. And so the rightness of a cause never justifies disobedience to God's Word. We can never justify fudging on God's clear instructions by attempting to say, well, this is a good, a good thing we're, we're setting out to accomplish. The means we use to achieve our goals are just as important in God's eyes as the goals themselves. I remember um, meeting, I think I went a little too fast there. Let me go back one. There we are. <clears throat> I remember meeting a couple one time. I was visiting with a friend in his church. It was a, it was a gospel preaching church. And um, I was chatting with people after the service. One of the people there, the lady, was a, was a church pianist. And as we got talking, for whatever reason, she started opening up a little bit and shared that she and her husband were planning to get a divorce. And uh, I, I'm sure the surprise showed in my face or the sadness or whatever. And, and she quickly explained and said, well, it's because we want to better serve the Lord. I, okay, you have to explain that one. And say, well, because we're always fighting together and so that's not pleasing to God and so we feel that we can serve God better if we divorce. But okay, that's an interesting way of reasoning, isn't it? Not God's way. That's the way the world would reason. That's the way probably a lot of people encourage them, the course to pursue. But God's Word says something very different. And so um, when we go through the Bible, we can find numerous examples of the same principle that a good cause doesn't justify disobedience. Think, for example, when Moses wanted to provide water for the people to drink when they were wandering through the desert. Very good cause. They were genuinely thirsty. They definitely needed water. But Moses, instead of speaking to the rock as God had commanded, he struck it. And by so doing, he lost his right to enter into the promised land. Which honestly, it almost seems like the punishment was disproportionate to the, to the crime. But God puts a high priority on obedience to his word. Again, King Saul uh, desire to offer the best sheep to the Lord after he had attacked the um, Amalekites and um, he thought he'd bring them back and, and offer them to the Lord. But God had told him to destroy all the animals that were captured during that battle. And so because of his disobedience, Saul lost the right to continue as king. And so throughout the Bible, we see how God insists and emphasizes the importance of complete obedience to his word. And so what we need to remember is the rightness of a cause is totally irrelevant 
if we have to resort to dishonest or unjust means to achieve it. So for us today, um, it's perfectly good for a young person or an older person to want to get a good grade on some kind of a test, but not if you have to resort to cheating to do so. Perfectly right for our children to obey us, but not if we have to resort to lying to get them to do so. I've already been in a store, maybe you have too, and, and uh, listening to parents trying to control their children, and I've heard a mom say to her kids, if you don't come right now, I'm going to leave you here in the store. <laughs> you know, she wasn't going to leave him in the store, but, you know, she lied to him to try to get him to obey. Perfectly right to want to get lots of people to come to church, but not if we try to deceive them to get them here or to use worldly means to get them here. I just saw a website today uh, put out by a denomination here in Lebanon, and uh, on the website they, they advertise, come out to our beer and Bible night. Beer is first. Now, thankfully, in the explanation after, they said drinking is optional. <laughs> is that what God wants, to get people to come to church? So, obedience is more important than a just cause. Secondly, obedience is more important than good intentions. And so again, in these first verses, uh, David explains his desire, and David and all the people thought they were honoring God by what they were attempting to do. However, good intentions in and of themselves are never sufficient to guarantee God's blessing. The world is full of people of good intentions, but God requires complete obedience to his word. As I've talked with people all around the country, all around the world, literally, uh, about the gospel. It's interesting to meet people from other religions. I've had opportunities to talk to Mormons, opportunities to talk to Muslims and many others, and who, when they seek to justify themselves before God based on their good works, and then you challenge them by asking, you know, if indeed they're uh, able to follow all of the commandments or laws of their particular religion, inevitably they acknowledge that no, they're not perfect and they, they fall short and they sin and so forth. But almost always they'll follow up by saying, but our intentions were good. Even if I know I've sinned, my intentions were right. As if that would make a difference to God. The universe does not exist for man, but for God. And so what matters is what God says. And so we cannot expect God to conform to our standards, but rather it is to us to conform to his divine will. And so a Christian who seeks to honor God must realize that good intentions never justify disobedience to the word of God. And again, we could be as guilty as anyone of relying upon our good intentions I intended to read my Bible today, but I, I just got too busy. I intend to witness to my neighbors, but I just have so many projects to take care of first. I intend to give God my tithe, but only after I pay off some more bills. I intend to be more involved in church, but this, this isn't a good time in my life. And the good intentions go on. 
Remember Samuel's words to Saul when Saul tried to justify his disobedience about not killing the animals by referring to his good intentions, saying, why, I wouldn't give these as an offering to God. And Samuel's response was, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So obedience is more important than good intentions. Thirdly, obedience is more important than the opinion of the crowd. Verse number four, we read that all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Well, that's a super majority there, isn't it? (laughs) Didn't make it right. Sadly, many people blindly follow the heretical teaching of some group by taking comfort in the large number of followers. And indeed, there's a lot of cults that have succeeded. Islam has succeeded magnificently if you look at the numbers. Catholicism has succeeded remarkably if you look at the numbers. And so it's not uncommon to hear people, you know, say, well, how could so many educated scientists be wrong? You know, how could so many sincere Muslims or Buddhists be wrong? Even in Christian circles, we have to realize that numbers do not make right. And so it's not because lots of Christians jump on some bandwagon. I mean, you can find Christians that support almost anything today. There are Christians who support evolution. There are Christians who support abortion. It's not because Christians say, you know, that, that many Christians dress immodestly that it makes it okay. It's not because lots of Christians think that drinking alcohol is okay, that it makes it right in God's eyes. Obedience is more important than the opinion of the crowd. This story, story, if nothing else, points that out. Number four, obedience is more important than our sincerity. Nobody could doubt the sincerity of David and even of the whole congregation of Israel in this story. But sincerity does not prove truth. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so a person can be completely sincere and yet be sincerely wrong. Who would doubt the sincerity of terrorists who blow themselves up? And yet they could not be any more wrong than they are. Fifthly, obedience is more important than religious fervor. Verse number 8, it's interesting what the text explains to us. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing and all kinds of instruments. And boy, you you read that, and it just sounds like everything is good. It sounds like everything is right. Who cares if the ark is put on this cart rather than being carried by these Levites? We're doing the right thing. We have good intentions. We're sincere. And here we are uh, showing genuine religious worship and praise to God. Certainly, God's not going to see if we've crossed all of our T's and dotted all of our I's, will he? And so the text points out that they played their instruments and signed to God with all their might, and yet God did not approve of what they were doing. When you walk into some churches, you'll see uh, many examples of fervent worship. As people cry out, as they raise their hands as they dance in the aisles and so forth. No one can deny the fervency of their worship. But that does not 
mean that God necessarily approves their false teaching. Their prosperity gospel, their speaking in tongues, their false promises of healing. But again, we don't escape from that either. It's not because we carry our school field Bible into church or because we sing the old hymns or because we give generously in the offering that God necessarily accepts our worship if our heart is not right toward him, if our heart is not right toward other believers, if we are not walking in obedience to his word, because that is what matters. That is the bottom line of this story. Complete obedience to the Word of God. And so, believers, we need to take notice. Uzzah belonged to the people of God. In fact, he was one of uh, the sons of Abinadab, where the ark was kept for those uh, many years. He was one of his sons. He saw the ark in his, in his, on his homestead there growing up. And for years, you know, never touched it, never approached it. But one time, one time, he broke the directives that God had given, clearly given. And so although Uzzah belonged to the people of God, sang in the choir, held an important position, none of, the thi- none of those things can replace personal obedience to God's Word. Neither the opinion of the crowd, nor our sincerity, nor our good intentions prove that we are in good standing with God. What did Jesus say in John chapter 4? He said, true worshipers are those who worship God in spirit and in truth. Worshiping Him in truth. And so maybe God's judgment in the story seems somewhat excessive But it simply underlines once again the truth that nothing can replace our obedience to God's Word. You get to the New Testament and you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Seemed like a fairly small thing what they did, holding back some of the money from what they sold. But they lied. And God says there's a heavy price to be paid for disobedience. God owns every right to our life. Do we believe that? He owns every right to our life. We belong to him. He is Lord. And as he said himself, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I command you? So we need to follow. We need to be careful to follow his instructions faithfully, completely, Perhaps there is an area of your life where even today as we are sitting here together, there's an area of your life where you're, you're aware that uh, you, you need to obey. You need to comply with the Word of God. If there is, if there is some such area, and that maybe even God is speaking to you right now, uh, this is certainly the right time to deal with that. Certainly the right time to turn to God and say, God, forgive me for my disobedience. Forgive me for my, for my procrastination. I need to act on that today, and I want to commit this thing to you even now as we go to prayer. So if there is something, some area of your life 
you need to turn over to him, I encourage you to make that decision today.